Hey everyone, welcome to uh, episode 11, season 2 of Photography Chat with Merlin. Uh, we're going to have uh, Jesse Hitchens joining us uh, from Oakland, California at the Underdog Film Lab. Um, so let's get her in here and get going with the chat. Um, how's everyone's week been going? Hope you guys are doing well out there and staying out of trouble. All right, so we're just waiting for Jesse to get in here. And hey, how's it going, John? How's your week going? There she is. So let's. Uh oh. Jesse, you might have to update your. Um, I think you have to update your Instagram app because it's saying that I can't join you to the the video chat here. Okay. Yeah. Um, send a message. Okay, burnt out from shooting. Well, I mean, that's cool that you're doing a lot of shooting. Um, what kind of stuff have you been shooting? Um, Just a sec, we're working on some technical difficulties here and uh, we will get everything uh, everything going. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, what's new with me? I'm moving to Vancouver in May. Um, that's a little new. Um, I've got the quarantine book um, I'll be putting out for pre-order um, before I go. Um, and yeah, that's kind of exciting. I've started working on, um, a reissue of the Bodegas book I did in 2018. Uh, there's going to be some new photos, uh, included in that, that, um, I just shot recently. Uh, so there'll be some new content in that book and that's a, a precursor to, uh, follow up to the, uh, first Bodegas book. Uh, so there's a cool project on the go with that one. So looks like we got Jesse, uh, tuning in here. So let's see if we get in here for a second. There we go. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Sorry. All the technical difficulties are Brian's fault. No worries. Uh, uh, How's yeah. it going at the lab today? Oh, same old, same old. I might have to figure something out because I can barely hear you. Um, I'm going oh. to go grab a Bluetooth speaker real quick. Sorry for the technical difficulties. No worries. I'll be right back. Always adds a little bit of fun to the photography uh, chats. Wow. Big old large format camera behind her. 
night scenes are fun. I need to do a bit for night shooting myself. So uh, I got it. Doing that. Oh, uh-oh. Can you make sure my computer is disconnected? Alright. Sorry for the technical difficulties, everyone. But we'll be getting going here. Uh, you can hear like the hum of the lab, it's kind of cool. Okay, cool. Oh. Always interesting times here on the chat. <laughs> we'll have Jesse on in just a moment. Okay. All right. What's up, JP? Yeah, Cromwell, I, I think, yeah, Cromwell says the tech difficulties from Holocon must be contagious. It, it happens sometimes, yeah. This space is definitely haunted. So tell us more about that. Uh, we named the ghost Dusty. Okay. Um, and yeah, we've just had like ongoing perpetual, it's an old, so this building is 170 years old. What? Um, yeah. We got documentation. It was a saloon. Um, our landlords gave us like a historic write up on it. It was called the Junction Saloon. Okay. Um, there was like a brothel upstairs. And uh, pretty much from the get go, like we, we're making it work, but everything is maybe five to 10 steps harder than it should be. And we've blamed a ghost named Dusty. Uh, okay. Yeah. So what, what kind of, how does Dusty make it harder for you guys? Um, so yeah, so let's see, we've had a pipe explode that was like a three-day project of jackhammers inside the lab, um, kicking up like an obscene amount of dust. That was I'm when we named him Dusty. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just, yeah, I mean, like, it's an old, most of it's just this, it's an old building. There's not a single straight line in the place. Like, every bit of construction, every bit of everything we've tried to do here has been uh, significantly harder than it needed to be, but makes it fun. I mean, that's what you want out of life, is to have things <laughs> interesting, right? <laughs> Challenges. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, never a dull moment that way. Exactly. Um, sorry. So, sorry. Oh, sorry? Oh, I... No problem. Still, I'm try I still can barely hear you, but... Um... Oh, no. Do you, do you have, like, headphones or something, or...? Maybe. I, I can hear it. I can make it work. Uh, okay. I'm good. Yeah. No worries. So... Yeah, so I don't know if you want to do like a quick introduction to yourself and just, you know, let, let the folks know a little bit about you. Sure. So, um, yeah, my name is Jesse Hitchens. I am one of the owners of Underdog Film Lab in Oakland. Uh, from Boston originally, been on the West Coast for 12 years now. 
Um, and yeah, we do dip and dunk film processing in the house. I do all the scanning and printing. Um, got a crack team of people who've been doing this for a long time. So yeah. That's pretty cool. How long is, uh, have you guys had Underdog going now? Underdog officially opened in 2019. Uh, we moved into the space in May. Uh, construction took a while. We officially opened the doors in December. So we were only operating for about three months before we had to shut down um, for COVID reasons. Uh, but we were able we were only actually like down down for two weeks and then we were able to get website going um switch to mail order and i mean for a while people were like mailing film to my house and i was bringing it in here it was kind of a a slapdash operation for a while but we all just kind of did what we had to do to make it work and now it's kind of humming along um so we've operated more than not like in quarantine conditions that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so what, what kind of what kind of stuff can you guys do uh, there at Underdog, just so the folks know? We do printing, processing, scanning. Um, so processing of E6, C41, black and white, in-house, um, anything from 110 up to 8x10. Uh, full roll scans, uh, large format scans, uh, machine prints, 3.5x5 up to 12x18 on traditional paper, and anything larger than that on inkjet, fine art archival inkjet paper we are hoping to introduce optical contact sheets and some some minor optical work in the future but that was one of those things that like darkroom was kind of half put together and the people that we need to bring it in it's a tight space so like bringing in people to put processors back together has not been something that seems safe right now yeah thanks covid yeah yeah but doing our best and yeah, chugging along. Nice. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I'm probably gonna actually be starting to send you guys stuff soon because nice. I'm I'm moving to the West Coast in May. Where are you moving to? I'm moving to Vancouver. Nice. Yeah, and uh, you know the lab that I like in Toronto. I, I was thinking about like mailing and stuff and it's like it's probably going to be just as easy to mail it down to you guys as it would be to mail it to the front so, yeah yeah we have had over this is a thing that brian's gonna have to figure out there's been some like online stuff with uh international shipping we have a regular customer who was dropping off here and then it was like, he's been going up for a couple months at a time to help his dad in Canada. And for whatever reason, like, has not been able to mail stuff here. But I'm sure Brian can, oh, Brian can make it work for you. Okay. Brian, Brian just said he'll figure it out. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. And I missed you guys. Like, yeah, it was a Policon Bay Area last weekend. And, uh, you know, that was the last time that I was in San Francisco was, was for the first Policon Bay Area. Kind of weird to like you know be far away from it now yeah i yeah i was disappointed i couldn't uh participate more last week it was all happening like while the shop was open so i was running around in the back room i was like listening to brian from the other side of the room but like <laughs> couldn't be on any of the zoom chats because i was actively scanning but 
Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I think you are one of the last people I like met in the real world. We hung out on the last day of. Yeah, it was when everything was shutting down because there was we did the photo walk in Oakland and then we had to like rush to the taco joint. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was pretty. Yeah, I, like we were, you know, we had a lot of those like a year ago today conversations. And I was like, yeah, I remember like text or not like Instagram chatting with you the next day being like, yeah, hope you made it back into Canada because I think they just shut everything down like the day you were getting on the plane. Yeah, it was wild. So like I was supposed to be on an evening flight and they moved my flight to the morning and they didn't tell us why. Um, it was just like, it was just insane at SFO. Like the, there was just like line up to people and like everyone was freaking out because like everyone's flights got changed and there was no like reasoning why. And um, when I landed in Toronto and turned my phone back on, like I saw that you guys were like shut down. I was like, shit, like that's kind of wild. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, that was, crazy times but yeah it's a, it's a funny thing to like to mark with to have Policon as a marker for that like I'm sure I'm sure you saw like the marquee at the park side still says Policon 20, 2020 on it which uh, yeah yeah <laughs> uh, was so, that yeah, the last event that happened at the park side yeah holy shit wow that's uh so for, for people that are, that are like new or unfamiliar, um, last year and, and also just like last weekend, there was an event through the Instant Film Society and uh, the Bay Area Photography Collective um, that was put on called uh, Policon Bay Area. And uh, it was the last like real life Policon event that, that happened uh, before COVID and the park side was like where we did like the zines and things and a bunch of workshops and like that was one of the last places I got to see a bunch of my uh, photography pals. Yeah. Life. Yeah. Crazy times. Yeah, it has been crazy times. So I'm curious, like you were um, rocking a pack film camera the day we were on the walk and then also the uh, photo you sent me for uh, the the promo post was was a pack film camera, so I just curious like what what's the story with uh, with that uh, that camera? You know, I fell in love with those cameras. Um, I actually had my aunt back home um, still lives in the house that she grew up in, in my my grandmother's house that my dad and all of his siblings grew up in, and they her and my uncle are like professional yard sailors and a bunch of what they sell is just like old stuff that's been in this house that my family's lived in for a couple generations at this point they pulled out um one of the old like roll film polaroid cameras and we're all excited to give it to me and then i i looked at it and i was just like oh man oh, my friend's giving me shit about it. i can i can drop into a boston accent if i fucking need to kid uh, so my so my aunt gave me this fucking camera and um yeah so i started like looking into it and um obviously that film doesn't exist anymore but in the in the process of researching it was like oh there's these other cameras that at the time the fp100c and 3000b whatever it was super cheap and readily available so it was basically through trying to find a way to use that camera that my aunt gave me i discovered pack film cameras found one for 20 bucks on ebay and 
loved it, started just like carrying it around with it, carrying it around with me everywhere. And it's one of those things, once you have one, they just kind of keep coming into your life. So mm -hmm. I ended up with probably five or six of them. There are a few just, yeah, like walking around flea markets. I, there was one, I was at a flea market in Massachusetts and I picked one up. I was like, I don't need this. I already have a few of them. And the guy running the booth was just like, $5. I'm like, all right, sure, yeah, sold. Um, so the so yeah, $20 I, I one, of, what was the $20 one you got off of eBay? It was a four fifty. Oh, nice. Um, and yeah, that thing has gone across the country with me multiple times. I took that thing um, on tour with my friend's band in Europe when like the, the real cameras I was supposed to be using to like photograph this band both died on me. Just fluke accident. I had a Mamiya 6 that has an electronic shutter and just something shorted out. Um, I was freaking out, but I had this Polaroid 450. So I was like on stage for like photographing my friend's band, like pulling out bellows and like holding an external flash and doing the whole thing. Like, I love that camera. And that film, I, it still kills me, but. It's one of my favorites. And, and Gavin just rolled into uh, the, the chat here. And Gavin is a very special pole of pal of mine out in uh, Ottawa, uh, which is not too far from, uh, from me in Toronto here. But Gavin helped me retrieve this uh, this guy here, the 195. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, this has been my favorite camera to date so far. Yeah. Like just the the photos that big ass lens takes. Those, yeah, I have a one like the 450 is the one that I just kind of carried around forever, just because sometimes semi-automatic is easy. But I got a 180 for the times that I was like, took a shot and it exposed for the highlights or whatever, and I got frustrated. But yeah, those the big ass lens on those things. Yeah, he can't beat him. Yeah. Let's see here. Is that shot? Oh. <laughs> it's like too close. Oh, yeah. Is there not designed for macro no and like I'm, I'm gonna make a macro kit for it someday but like not today we'll try this it'll probably be blurry but okay you uh are you sitting on a stash of film i no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> i so i do have a problem with with collecting the film um but I swear I'm going to use it, and I do yeah. use it. Um, I have, yeah, I have this, I have a problem, like, I, ha I hoarded, um, I hoarded a bunch of the film. It's the FP100C or 3000B pack film is what those cameras take, to answer your question. Yeah. And um, Fuji discontinued it. 28. Yeah. Um, even though it was in my opinion some of the best instant film ever made i still like when i look at the old 3000b photos i it just like makes me angry how good that black and white is um the 3000b is so good yeah uh but yeah i have a stash of it and i keep telling myself like just go shoot it it's not doing any good sitting on a shelf but then every time i go pick it up i'm like i don't know is it worth it i don't know is it worth it Okay, um, I'll just 
because we're talking about it. Oh, shit. I, I just got five more packs last week. Damn. From other people. But I have, like, projects planned for it. So it's mostly FP100C, but there's a little bit of 3,000 and a little bit 100 in there. Nice. Nice. Um, and then I'm, I'm going to Vancouver this week, and I'm hopefully picking up three boxes of 669 that hopefully might work. Wow. So That's, yeah. Excited about that. But the FP100C, um, I'm using that mostly for a book project that I've, I've got coming up. Awesome. I think I eavesdropped a little bit. I tried to listen to your, your Policon thing that you're uh, revisiting old bodegas. Yeah, so I, I did. Uh, I don't have it with me right now. But in 2018, I did a book of uh, bodegas. And um, I am going to be doing a follow up book to that probably this year. Originally, the idea was it was just going to be like more bodegas and shit in Toronto. But because I'm moving to Vancouver, what I'm thinking of doing is like shooting a few in Toronto, but then also as I'm driving across the country, shooting um, them as I see them in like small towns and stuff like that. Nice. Um, and I think I'm going to call that book Canadian Convenience. Awesome. Um, which will yeah. be kind of funny. And the idea with that one is shooting all of the storefront with FP100C and the 195 and then shooting interiors on superior 1600 with an f100 and a 20 mil lens so i could get like a nice wide angle nice. inside yeah um, that'd be awesome but leading up to that one i want to do a reissue of the 2018 book and um what i was thinking because you know i want it to be like different from the first one i drove around to i shot 22 convenience stores in that book so last weekend, I drove around to all of them to see which ones still exist. And um, five of them are gone now. So I took a picture on the 195 of what they look like now. So I'm going to have, like, you know, what it looked like in 2018 when I shot it. And then on the next page, it will be the, the pack film shot of what it is today. Are they just shuttered or are they, like, turned into other... Uh, one one of them is just has a fur lease sign, and then the other ones are different businesses. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it was interesting because a, a couple of them, people were like, "Hey, why are you taking a picture of it?" And it was just like, in, "I shot this place like three years ago, and it was a convenience store." They're like, "What? Like this has been a bakery for like as long as I've lived in this neighborhood." Weird. I'm like when did you move in? Oh, like two years ago. Well, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting, kind of like seeing how that sort of stuff changes. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be that'll be really cool. Did you drive when you moved the first time or did you I did. So when I moved here in twenty seventeen, um, I packed all of my shit into a five by eight haul trailer and towed it behind my Volvo cross country at that time. Um, but that got taken out in a car accident last year. So I don't yeah. have that car anymore. I have a older Volvo station wagon, which I'm hoping will be just as adept as uh, towing a 5x8 U-Haul trailer the opposite direction. Yeah, I, Volvos are borderline indestructible unless you smash into them. It'll... Yeah, like I'm, I'm glad that like, I'm not happy that I got in a car accident, but I'm glad that it happened in a Volvo. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to the drive. Like, I'm going to take a week off of work or maybe a week and a half just to like take my time and you know nice 
is I've always said is I've driven back and forth across Canada four times now. And I've always been like, I'm going to stop and take more photos. And like Chris Cohen, the guy that just tuned in here, he was the dude that came with me on, it is the internet, Chris, welcome to the internet. Um, he drove with me from uh, the West Coast to Toronto when I first moved here in 2017. Um, you know, I joke, he's my heterosexual life mate. And, um, you know, he, he was part of one of those trips. And it, it was a lot of fun because, like, he saw me. I, I posted a video on Facebook of me, like, fucking around with a trailer, trying to be, like, practicing for the big move. And he's like, where are you moving to? And he's like, I'm moving to Toronto. He's like, I was just about to book tickets to fly to Toronto for a thing. Like, do you want company? He's like, fuck yeah, I want company. Nice. Um, so I picked him up in Edmonton. And I, like, worked it out. Like, driving is, like, 40... 400 kilometers or 4,500 kilometers, which I think like works out to be like 3,800 uh, miles or something like that, somewhere around there. Thirty-six. Spot, spot right, yeah. Um, it only added an extra like 250 kilometers for me to drive up to Edmonton to pick him up and okay. go down. So it, it was nice. We did the drive in three and a half days, which was a little insane. Um, yeah. But I saw this, like, really cool abandoned shit that I've always wanted to take photos of, but, like, I was always in a rush. So I'm thinking with this move, like, I'm going to have some time. I'm going to yeah. be myself as long as I don't get murdered. Um, you know. Yeah. That was, yeah, when I moved from Boston to California, that was my the goal was, like, gonna take my time gonna take a bunch of photos i had like just graduated from college and was like this is gonna be my like big american photo project without really thinking i was driving a honda civic with everything i owned in it and my roommate at the time came with me i was planning on doing it by myself and then my roommate at the time was like kind of a mess in a bad way and was just I was like you need to get out just come with me and then it ended up he was like a six foot two red-headed dude with like hand tattoos I was driving a Honda Civic with Massachusetts plates so it was like all of my grand ideas of driving through the deep south and doing sketchy shit uh like actually probably a bad idea for me to be pulling up to abandoned buildings with like giant stupid cameras in my Japanese car with Massachusetts plates I'm gonna get murdered and yeah. Uh, trip yeah trip ended up being a lot faster and on a lot more interstates than I had wanted it to be I had planned this whole like back roads abandoned shit like weird woodsy spooky things but the harsh realities of the world kind of sunk in pretty quick <laughs> Someone asked, whatever happened to that roommate? Uh, I think he joined a motorcycle gang, and uh, I lost touch with him. He was kind of a train wreck. Um, but I know. mean, that happens when we're when we're younger. We yeah. involve ourselves with train wrecks, and yeah, you know, basically, yeah. I like he got all the way to Southern California with me, and we tried to encourage him to. John, who just asked that question, is one of my oldest oldest friends uh we all tried to convince him to stay out there with us and he he was just in rough shape so it did not end well but that did that's kind of how i 
Southern California not going well is how I ended up in the Bay Area. So all things come together, I guess. Well, the Bay is better, right? I mean, some would disagree, but it worked better for me, especially at that time and place. But all right, let's let's try the magic appeal apart here. Uh, it it kind of worked. <laughs> hey Ray. Oh yeah, kind of worked. Yeah. That that was only like what it, it, Brooklyn film camera prices. This was like fifteen bucks. So. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, it's no big deal. Just yeah. making it rain, prints over uh, here. God. <laughs> That's, yeah, another, like, one of the times recently that I finally got over myself and was like, I'm going to take pictures with the 450. Hadn't used it in a while, and the rubber band that I have holding the battery together to fire the shutter had corroded, and I took two shots with the shutter not going. Oh, shit. Two shots, like, in the old days, no big deal, but... Two shots now is kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Two shots now is enough to be like, all right, cool. I guess I'm never using this camera again. Can't risk it. Yeah, it's like this camera's dead to me now. Yeah, yeah. What What was the camera that uh, you had out on the photo walk? I think I had that one. The I, I can't remember if I took the 450 or the 180 out. And then I had a 600 that my other grandmother gave me. Um, way back in high school i think actually i was like i think i had just graduated from high school when like polaroid originally stopped making film and i oh. ended up with my grandmother's old um <laughs> thanks <Jers. laughs> uh i ended up with my grandmother's old camera um, and the photo lab that I worked at then, my boss had a stack that had just expired that he couldn't sell. So I had like a, yeah, stash. I keep lucking my way into stashes of dead stock Polaroid that I shot that all through college. And then it had been sitting on a shelf. And I think that the Polaroid walk in Oakland was the first time I had brought that thing out of retirement in probably 15 years. Nice. Um, but yeah, that was the camera that my grandmother used to take photos of the birthday cakes that she made us. I think that was the only thing that it had been used for. It's cool that you have those sort of like cameras with familial connections, though. I, yeah, I like to... I'm a, I'm a sentimental sap. I like to hold on to stuff that <laughs> means something to me, or just make it mean something to me after a while. Um, and then, yeah, I think I had, again, like, camera with a story. I, on that Polaroid walk last year, had an SX-70 that right when I moved to the Bay Area, I ended up at a house party with coworkers, and I had a different film camera. I don't think it was even, I think that was before Impossible Project was even a thing, but I had a film camera, and some drunk guy at this party was like, yo, you shoot film? Like, I had this thing. Uh, it's on a shelf. Like, have it. And it was a perfect SX-70, like, in the case and everything. Holy shit. Um, and at the time, I was like, cool, paperweight. They don't make this film anymore. But, like, great, yeah, I'll take it. Uh, and, again, it sat on the shelf until the Impossible Project came around and busted it back out. Yeah, and now it's, like, you know, worth a whole bunch of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, th those things have just gone up, like, so much in, in price. It's insane. 
That, uh, yeah, like, again, thinking about the era, I think, I think you and I are about the same age, but, like, the early to mid-2000s, that era when, like, all these baby boomers who had collected really nice equipment were just, like, fuck it, into digital now. I was getting given the nicest equipment by just old old guys who were like, that's eh, worthless, whatever. Um, that... Yeah, now all of that stuff, I'm like, prices just keep going up. We have a very hipster comment here. How are you supposed to vlog with an instant camera? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not going to end up being like Peter McKinnon if you're uh, shooting an instant camera. So, you know, sorry to burst your bubble there, Cohen. Yeah, yeah. Uh... But that's cool. Yeah. You, so... How how did you get into photography? Like, when did you start doing photography? Pretty young. Um, I mean, high school is when I started, like, I was lucky. I, I went to a high school that had a, a really nice darkroom program, a photo program um, that I, yeah, I was one of those kids that, like, took my lunch break in the darkroom and, uh ended up getting like independent studies and stuff but I yeah I ended up with cameras from my dad and from my uncles and I think part of it was like part of it was like I, I have kind of archivist tendencies and just wanted to like document the things I was doing and part of it was like being socially awkward and it's a good way to like hide in a crowd yeah um, I get that and I think part of it too was just like having a reason to go do something. I used it very often as, as an excuse when I was a teenager to be like, I'm going to go drive around aimlessly, but it's not just being a bored teenager. Like I'm an artist and it has purpose and like I'm breaking into this abandoned mental institution, but it's not because I'm a degenerate punk. I'm like making art. Um, so there's, yeah, there was a lot of that aspect to it. It was kind of an excuse to like go out, do things, see things without my parents being suspicious of what I was doing. It was like gave purpose to kind of just going out and wandering around. It like made it seem more valid, if that makes sense. I don't know. So what were some of your favorite things that you shot back then? I was obsessed. It's the thing I miss about the East Coast is just old stuff. Yeah. Um, Denver State. Yeah, I grew up 20 minutes from Denver State Hospital. I, yeah, definitely you, spent a lot of time there. So um, you've been inside Danvers? I haven't been inside any of the buildings because okay. that one is locked up like a fortress. And I was always combination of like not having people that I could get to go with me and being too scared to do stuff myself um Danvers was Danvers was rough but my dad actually was my dad had worked construction at Danvers State in the 70s and uh you don't have to hide Brian it's fine Brian's crawling Brian, <laughs> Brian's crawling behind me um and uh yeah my dad had worked construction at Danvers State in the 70s and he, like, he would give me all kinds of shit for going to those places and doing that kind of stuff, but it was <laughs> completely his fault. He would drive me up there um, and be like, oh, yeah, I can tell you stories about, like, people wandering around here when there was still people in here. Uh, so he actually walked me up there one day and, like, 
old man style sweet talk to the guard into letting us walk his shift. Uh, so we did like the guy's whole route around the building. Um, me and my dad and the security guard who like started just telling us ghost stories and uh, while also very pointedly being like, I'm watching you. <laughs> Don't go into the buildings. I'm watching you. Um, but yeah, it was that, that kind of stuff. Um, there are a bunch of old, kind of like New England's version of Coney Island, like these really depressing little beach towns in Salisbury, Massachusetts and Hampton Beach, New Hampshire that I've been obsessed with my whole life. Again, like my dad used to drive us there when we were kids and there's these arcades that just like haven't been updated since 1989 and not because they're trying to be vintage. They're just sad and I love it's them. where fun lives. <laughs> yeah. I like something about it. I don't know why. I just, every time I go home, I find my way back there. It's, that was the type of stuff I would do. It's just like, yeah, go to weird beach towns in February when there's no one out and wander around creepy arcades. Yeah. The Hampton Casino is one of the best places. There's like weird, creepy old puppet shows and like, again, old wet process photo booths, like before that was a kitsch vintage thing like they were just there and really old um is yeah one of my favorite places in the world that sounds really cool your your mentioning of danvers and your dad working construction there reminded me of this like crazy um movie have, have you ever watched session number nine it's filmed there yeah yeah that yeah super creepy yeah yeah that yeah <laughs> That place, yeah, that place is creepy as hell. I never got inside there, but I did get inside uh, Belchertown, had a similar institute um, that was a lot easier to break into. And then there was, yeah, one of my other favorite ones when I was in high school, I had a friend that grew up near um, Spooky World, which was an outdoor haunted hayride. It was like a Halloween theme. It was a Halloween theme park, basically, but it was outside in the woods in New England, and they moved it to Foxborough Stadium. But when they moved it indoors, they left all the old shit in the woods. So there's just this barn and like a trail through the woods with like a fake ghost town and a fake alien crash site and like all these mannequins and all the stuff that was like designed to be kind of cheesy, creepy, like fun for kids but then it rotted in the woods in New England for five ten years I think before I made it there and uh it's like legit creepy now yeah yeah nice <laughs> where is it uh Chris says I can't think of anything that sounds less haunted than a hayride <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think yeah spooky world like as it was actually supposed to be run like when it's running is just one of those places where like a guy in a Jason mask runs at you real fast and yells and you jump and whatever, you know, like typical, yeah, top field fair. Uh, but yeah, when it was all just like left in the woods and they built like a suburban housing development right on the backside of it, it was just this weird little, but yeah, that, I mean, that kind of, like, that's kind of what I was doing when I was in high school and college was like, trespassing and photography made that seem less like hoodlum activity and more like if I ever got caught it's like I have a camera mister I'm not doing any damage 
I'm not a hood rat, I'm an artist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, yeah, I, the couple times that I did get caught, that totally worked, so. We, um, the, the town I used to live in in British Columbia is a place called Kamloops. Uh, Cohen knows it, he lived there for a while too, that's where I met him. And um, there is a creepy um, asylum there. It, it was originally called Tranquil. And then it got renamed to Padova City when this guy bought it and had this like crazy idea to turn this like huge property into um, like a resort thing based off of like the town he grew up in, which was called Padova. Uh, he ended up losing his mind and killing himself in the property. Um, but it was like this weird, crazy, self-sustaining whole farm thing that was about 20 minutes outside of Kamloops. Um, and like they, they had their own slaughterhouses and like, you know, all, like their own power station, like all this stuff. And um, we, a lot of people would break in there and like fuck with shit and everything. But we decided to go there and just knock on the security guy's house and be like, hey, we're college students and we're doing a report on Padova. Do you mind if we like just explore? And he was like, yeah, okay, fine. If you're like college students, that's like, at least you asked and you're not like breaking in. But he's just like, don't go into like certain buildings because like you'll probably die because they're super sketchy. Yeah. And uh, we did go into some of the buildings and they were like legit sketchy. Um, there was an underground underground tunnel system. Yeah, Danvers, the... Danvers had that too. Yeah, we didn't end up going into it because um, we didn't bring flashlights because it was like summertime and it was daylight and we didn't think about the tunnels until we got there. And we were like, well, maybe we could just like prop one of the doors open and just like use the sunlight. And it was way dark. Like we got to the bottom and we're like, this is a terrible idea. Like if the door closes, like, yeah, because this was before cell phones. We couldn't even yeah. use cell phones. Yeah. For like, like, you know, it, it was wild seeing like those, those crazy old places. And I got some cool uh, photos out there. Yeah, me, me and Brian were actually just talking earlier about uh, mini mag lights. I used to keep one in my messenger bag for like, because the same thing had happened to me. I had like stumbled across a place that I wanted to explore and then got inside and was like, shit. Like, yeah, same thing. Like, it's bright and sunny outside. I wasn't thinking about it. And yeah, I started carrying a little mini mag light on me everywhere I went just in case I found my way into some, uh, one of those places. But... Yeah, Cohen's saying here that... Um... He went in the tunnels and got lost in them for an hour. Jeez. Jesus. Yeah. That's yeah, I never got into the ones at Danvers, but, like, a million spooky stories about they all had, because there were, like, stations where there were gates with handcuffs because they would, like, move patients through. So, like, yeah, if you're wandering around in the dark and you come across, like, handcuffs bolted to the walls, it's, uh, you Not know. Not for fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, my cousin, my cousin just reminded me about the other one, uh, on the East coast is Holy Land, which ended up being the basis for like most of my college thesis, which is an abandoned Catholic theme park in Connecticut. Wait, what? Catholic theme park. Totally normal. Right. <laughs> um, so the what? story apparently is this guy was a dentist and and like got rich and was super religious and uh 
traveled to Jerusalem and was so like changed by the experience that he wanted to bring the experience of traversing the Holy Land to the peasants of Connecticut who couldn't afford the trip and built out of like scrap metal and chicken wire and just amateur, amateur, amateur construction, like little mini buildings, like two foot tall buildings um, where you like walk the path of Jesus and you get to the top of a hill and there's three crosses at the top of a hill and like all these little plaster monuments and stuff. It's amazing. But it had, they had like a light up cross on the side. You can see it from the highway. It's still there. And a Hollywood sign like built into the side of the hill that said Holy Land USA. Um, and the guy when he died willed it to a group of nuns who live at the house at the end of the road. Um, so if you drive up there, I've been, I've been able to go like wander around for a couple hours and not get caught. I've also immediately gotten to the top of the hill and had some old nun come out and like scream and chase me down the hill. Um, but it's one of the weirdest places I've ever been. That just sounds so wholesome. <laughs> There's, can you imagine like being a little kid in the 60s and your parents say you're going on vacation and you end up like on top of a hill in Connecticut just walking around like a little miniature plaster city I feel like that's about a, Jesus? I feel like that's a Genesis story for someone that like ends up murdering people later in life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I like this. Is this a Netflix pitch for a horror series <laughs> or an abandoned photography? <laughs> uh, I mean, that could be a good screenplay for a Netflix series. Oh, for sure. Yeah, one of the times I went there, because, it, yeah, it was also it was one of those things, like, a place like that, urban lore takes over. So, of course, when you start reading about it, there's a lot of, like, that's where the teenagers go to sacrifice things to the devil or whatever. One of the times I went there, there was a decapitated dove on a rock under the cross. And was, you know. Uh, I can already see, they, they, they would call it, like, the holy land. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be, like, all nice and bright and shiny and then just, like, dim down and get all, yeah. You know, it would be really cool is, like, if, if you did, like, time warping in it, like they did in Westworld, where it's just, like, you're yeah. in, like, when they were starting the Holy Land, and then, like, it, it fast-forwards, like, when the nuns are, like, running it, and he's dead, and kids are doing, like, satanic shit there and stuff, and it, like, kind of zooms back and forth between those different timelines. That, that could be, that could be interesting. All right, I'll, uh, I'll consult on your, on your writing, on your pitch for that. All right, yeah, we'll, we'll work together. I'm sure, like, someone knows someone that knows someone at Netflix that could, like, you know, <laughs> get us a pitch interview. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that place actually, like, just going there just for fun ended up spawning my entire college senior thesis show because one of my professors was like, you seem to be obsessed with religious iconography. Just go with it. And I'm like, all right. Um, so yeah, got, got that place to think. Well, I mean, religious iconography is an interesting thing because, like, a few of my favorite photos are from, like, graveyards and stuff like that like there's one specifically um it was on the way to um half moon bay 
yes and then i stopped in and i took like this really cool black and white shot of like a stained glass cross and a mausoleum through a wrought iron fence and Mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite black and white shots i've done nice yeah you'll have to show me that i yeah it's one of those things i yeah i went for a drive a few weeks ago it was just like a rainy foggy day and i found myself in a cemetery like near Bodega Bay and texted my old roommate who I've known since I was 15 and used to go with me on trips like that where we always ended up at cemeteries and I was like somehow this just I don't mean to do it they just keep pulling me back in yeah it's like uh was it the godfather just when you got out they pulled me back in yeah (laughs) there was one where is it sky cemetery there, there was such a really crazy one that I saw. Um, it was on the way, like when you're doing the windy through um, towards Half Moon Bay, Skylon Memorial Park in San Mateo. Have you been to that one? I think is that the big military one? No, no. It's like it's a big. It's called a memorial park because it's like levels and levels and levels it's huge like it's on the way to like if you're coming from palo alto and you're taking the back way to half moon bay from palo alto um it's along there and it has some like incredible views because it's like this terraced like cemetery that like you could tell it's like here's the poor people section and like here's the like richer people and then here's like the really rich people's yeah. section and then there was like a creepy like I think old original house in the back that was like part of like the original like cemetery back in the day that looks like Bates Motel, motel style creepy nice. um, but it was a really interesting one to, to check out like if you're into that kind of jam um, yeah, we dig that place. Good. Yeah, it's good to know because that's generally something I feel like is lacking on the West Coast. Like I know, I know there's, I know there's stuff out there, but, um, but yeah, the, I mean, where I grew up, there's like cemeteries from the 1600s, and again, I think all of this is my dad's fault. Like that's what we used to do for fun on summer nights. My dad would just like drive us to weird colonial cemeteries. <laughs> go run around uh yeah i mean it gives you a diverse childhood right and yeah yeah <laughs> uh my, my dad used to take us to residential schools when i was a kid which was um eye-opening and interesting yeah that's that's interesting sorry yeah. where is what photos by jc I want to go to the Chernobyl Amusement Park. Uh, uh, what, where were you asking, JC? Uh, maybe he'll get back to us. Yeah, it's... Um, but so, yeah, so what... Oh, I grew oh. up in uh, Andover, Massachusetts. Um, like 20 minutes north of Boston. Um, but wait, so what happens at a residential school that you're visiting as a child? So like when we would go visit them, um, when I was a kid, they, they had been shut down for, for a bit. Like when my dad, well, incorrect. He took us to ones that were shut down, but the last residential school in Canada, I believe shut down 
1995, just when I started high school. Um, and my dad wanted us to know about them because, like, they are a bit of, a, well, not a bit, they are huge travesty inside of, like, Canada's history, which we try to maple wash away so that people don't know that, like, we committed a whole lot of genocide and still to this day are committing genocide against um, Indigenous people in our country. Um, so he wanted us to be aware of that. And uh, yeah, that was always kind of like a wild thing because he's like, kids your age would be stolen from their families and brought here and like tortured by religious people. Wow. And I was just like, and you want me to go to church with these people? Like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's wild. I, uh, it seems like our dads were borderline similar. Yeah, my, my dad would drive us around to all the old weird historic sites and rattle off because yeah he like he was a truck driver and he worked construction and stuff and like grew up in my dad grew up in north reading and never moved farther than andover which is one town over um and yeah i would just drive around and be like dug the foundation for that house dug the foundation for that building i'll tell you what used to be there that used to be a farm that used to be this institution <laughs> that used to be uh and yeah, like, it's an interesting way to learn the history of an area is like, yeah, he would drive me up to Danvers and be like, this is what happened here. Like, this is what was going on. Like, this is how they were treating these people. Um, like, this is this like boys institution where they locked up scumbag kids. And if you're not good, you're going to end up like that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it was wild. Like the things that we used to do to people like not that long ago like canada had a bit of uh well a huge controversy i think in the late 80s and possibly into the early 90s where um we were sterilizing um you know uh, sort of like the mentally inept as, as they might have been and uh just because they didn't want them to breed because they thought that was doing a a service to everyone which was like what like if you were just like designated as like you know crazy because like maybe you have like adhd or something they'd be like snipping your ghiblies off like, yeah that was yeah that was another like one of the family stories was one of my great aunts or great great aunts um was from like the lebanese side of my family they all lived in lawrence which is an old mill town they like my family came over here and like worked in the factories and one of my great great aunts was super smart woman like super motivated smart woman and got married to a man who just wasn't having having a woman talk back to him so she got lobotomized uh jesus and yeah like my my grandmother is the one that told me the story that was just like yeah she wasn't crazy she wasn't she, this didn't need to happen. It just happened because she stood up for herself in a time and a place where that wasn't okay. And uh, yeah, and my grandmother had to take care of her. Like that was one of my grandmother's chores when she was a teenager was like taking care of crazy old Aunt Alice. Uh, oh man. Yeah. I mean, that's a wild thing to think that like, you know, people like ourselves, creatives and things like that, like in a different time period, um, would be in a very different situation than we're in today. Yeah. 
I just realized I have a way of making, like, I just turned this really casual photo chat into uh, talking about the horrors of eugenics and lobotomies. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you don't have to be sorry, though, because this is, this is why I like doing the chat, because, like, I like having an organic conversation that, like, you know, who knows where it can lead. Like, you know, yeah. we could be talking about Leica Bros one minute, and then lobotomies <laughs> next, and, um, you know, it's just, it's always interesting, because, like, it's not just the, so tell me about your favorite camera and uh, what's your favorite film stock. Yeah. And, uh, you know, are, are you a prime person or telephoto? Um, what's your favorite uh, focal length? Uh, I'm not even answering that question because I know you're bullshitting. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a 50 millimeter guy. Okay. Yeah, I yeah I have been shooting mostly medium format for quite a while, so I got a seventy five on my Mamiya six. That's like my main my main nice. bad boy. I do an eighty mil on my C thirty three and my Bronica. I like nice. it. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I think it's it's like the same, right? Uh, as fifty for. Uh, Mass Canada stories. Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean. Yeah. So this is context for why you choose subjects to photograph. So like when you are choosing um, subjects to photograph, like what, what, what's sort of like your thought process around that? I have always been bad at the conceptual end of things. I think that it again just goes back to my my habits with photography are just to keep a camera in my bag and go wander around. And if I end up like finding something cool or traveling somewhere cool or stumbling across something or walking past something, it's usually not until after I've taken, I think that's the one thing I learned in college was like, take all the stuff that you've shot already for whatever instinct brought you to shoot it. And then like, find the concept later and usually it comes out like again I, I was taking a bunch of photos and it, it was one of my professors was like you keep finding your way to catholic stuff keep doing that um and it kind of yeah it kind of like took someone else pointing it out to me and i was like oh yeah i could just compile all these photos that i'm already taking and like there's a project and um but yeah i've always been really bad at the like idea and follow through method um kind of just do everything slapdash and <laughs> put it all together later i think that's the best way to go about it though yeah i mean yeah i've never like you know never thought of myself as a portrait photographer until i started going through and realizing i have like decades worth of photos of all my friends and um it was never like, yeah, the intention was never like, I'm going to sit down and take portraits of you. It was just like, here we are in this moment. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I guess I kind of like to do things organically and then find the, find the concept later. Um, sometimes that works and sometimes I just end up with a mishmash of stuff and maybe in 20 years it'll be a book or maybe it'll just sit in binders. But that's the joy of being an archivist. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and it's it's that same thing too of like, 
traveling around a lot and having yeah having a memory of like I was in this place at this time and this is what it looked like and if I go back there I have a very clear picture of because I, I hate that feeling of and I, I thought of it when you were talking about your bodega project I hate that feeling of walking down a street and knowing that I've been there before and knowing that something's different but not being able to picture what it used to be like like I know there used to be a building here that didn't look like this what was that building and yeah for that I kind of like having photos it, it is nice to have photos for that kind of stuff because it's like I never really understood that that moniker you can never go home again until I left the town I grew up in yeah and then came back and I was just like what the shit like it's the same kind of place sort of but like things were like different and I was just like I've evolved without this place and it's evolved without me and we kind of like did this split and you know for the people yeah. that stayed there it's still home because like they were growing up with it and they were like you know they they saw the changes um but i've even found that where like even when i go visit vancouver now like yeah there's in the 20 year relationship i've had with vancouver so much has changed there yeah and yeah it's i mean it's i think similar to like the way that i had a picture of the history of where I grew up because of my dad telling me like what used to be there or whatever. I found myself doing the exact same thing to the first time I brought my boyfriend to Boston. We were walking around my old neighborhood and I was driving him crazy the whole time. I was just like, this used to be, and that used to be, and that's brand new. What the fuck's going on? And he was just like, I, I have no context for any of this. I don't care. Uh, and you're just but, like, shut up, listen. Yeah. It's like, no, let me tell you. <laughs> this used to be dirty and shitty and now it's all shiny and clean and it's freaking me out um it's like where's the grime where's the filth yeah, bring uh, it back yeah yeah and but yeah i mean same thing with like going through i ended up with all the archive of all my old family photos because uh, my parents just moved out of their house and now yeah i have all these photos of the house that i grew up in my grandparents house that i spent a lot of time in growing up and where my mom grew up that yeah i have like very vivid pictures of and like memories of and then being able to look at the photos and be like oh yeah that wallpaper like i stared at that wallpaper for so many hours of my life and like now i have a print of it that i can look at and be like you know flashback immediately to that time and place like i think that's one of the really valuable things about photography to me and it's it's one of those things too like i've been shooting for 20 years now photos that I didn't really think anything of when I took them of just like my friends at a place at like you know some burrito place we used to hang out at that's been closed for 15 years when I look at it now I'm like oh that place yeah. um you know so Chris has a uh, Chris has a comment here uh, that's a good question what do you do with your photos do they end up in shows or books or hidden in personal archives I have put some stuff in shows, um, not the best at self-promotion, but I've lucked into uh, a little bit of knowing people who've contacted me to put stuff up places. And there, were, there was a little stretch where I was trying to put myself out there a little more and get some stuff in shows. Most of it right now is just in binders. I'm actually working on like organizing my archives right now because taking advantage of working at a photo lab and having access to scanners and printers and stuff and getting everything contacted and um but yeah i mean i would like to 
do books or zines or things or hang stuff up but it's yeah it's like the I'm bad at editing i'm bad at follow through uh that's fair i kind of need a push to do that stuff and i've been so busy with getting the lab going lately that uh haven't been shooting as much as i'd like to and uh haven't been that focused on putting stuff out there but things are kind of starting to fall into a groove here that i might be able to not be here for 14 hours a day eventually that'd be good yeah and paul asks do you print your work i do yeah um i that was one of the things so i went to i went to mass art um which when i went there still had a color processor and color darkrooms and uh i loved darkroom printing um that's kind of how I ended up getting the job at the photo lab in San Francisco when I first moved here. Hey, Jason. Um, but yeah, now I like the old lab. We had a big light jet printer, like a 50 inch, um, this machine that like laser exposes photos onto wet process paper and okay. a huge wet process machine. So you could run like a 50 inch RA print on real photo paper uh we had to sacrifice that thing because it was a beast but yeah um haven't printed much lately uh but yeah again like i love printing i love the like the, the art of it um it's one of the things i miss about having like an actual dark room is i think I spend a lot of time now like scanning photos, scanning other people's photos, scanning my photos, looking at computer screens. I did fall in love with printing in like the darkroom aspect of it and do kind of miss that. Printing is great. I miss it too because COVID kind of eliminated the ability for me to get into the darkroom that I use frequently. Um, so it's been over a year now since I've printed anything, which has been a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. I gotta give a shout out to the uh, the prodigal Bay Area son there, Jason Moore. Um, Jason actually uh, helped me kick off photography chat. So I yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah, you and I have, I noticed that like the one or two that I've I've watched. I sorry, I haven't watched more of them. They always happen to coincide with my commute, but. Um, yeah, Jason and I met through kind of like peripheral groups of friends in San Francisco and uh, yeah, don't know each other super well, but um, definitely have ended up in the same place at the same time more than a few times and chatted about photography and art in general and coffee roasting and other other stuff. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting cat. He, he helped me kick this off. He was the very first official episode and nice. uh, been a great supporter. Um, Paul has a question here. Have you experimented with dye transfer process? I personally haven't. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, not, I mean, not for lack of interest, just like, I guess, lack of access to the goods to get it done. Um, yeah. And I mean, also part of it too is like, it's kind of easy to get lazy. I have this Noritsu printer that like prints up to 12 by 18 on 
Kodak paper that like can just hit print and a print that looks great comes out and uh, yeah. it like doesn't feel like art in the it's hard to do sense but like I can I can knock stuff out and be able to hold it and look at it and move it around and um, all that all that fun stuff. Uh, it looks like we may have a purist in the crowd here. If you're scanning uh, uh, negatives, doesn't that kind of miss the mark with analog photography? Why not just shoot digital? Um, I disagree with the premise. Uh, I think there's... Scanning negatives is just one, one way to capture. Um, there are a lot of people, I, I think... I don't know how to describe this the best way, but like, even when you're printing from film in a dark room, you're, you're making editing decisions, you're, you're doing stuff to make it look the way that you want to do it. Most scanners these days, like, can keep true to the tone of the film, can keep true to the grain of the film, uh, can keep true to the magic, if you want to call it that, of film in the same, I mean, it's not exactly the same as printing analog in a dark room, but like, you make editing decisions in a dark room, you make editing decisions scanning. Uh, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be kind of brutally honest on this one. It's, it's comments like that and the general ass hattery behind them that sort of disappoint me about the film community just a little bit. Because, um, you know, why not shoot film even if you're scanning it? Like, what, who are you hurting by doing that other than buying more film, which is good for the film community? Um, because, you know, sure, I could go, like, only shoot digital if I'm scanning things, but then I'm not going to be contributing to buying more film and supporting a lab like Underdog and things like that. So, um, I am just like, you know, if people want to shoot, let them shoot. Who cares if they scan them in, into digital or if, um, people are, um, you know, just putting them to shoe boxes or lighting them on fire, like it's cool. And if you, okay, so you don't shoot film, you're hundred percent digital. Cool. Well, all the more power to you. Um, enjoy saving money. Um, like, you know, people that shoot film tend to hate money, I guess. And well, I mean, part of it too is like the world is not the way the world used to be. Like if I Correct. had if there was access to public dark rooms everywhere to, and all the papers that used to exist, like I would do everything analog, but the, the world doesn't work that way anymore. Kodak cut their shit down to like one or two paper sizes. Dark rooms are not easy to come by. Processors are not easy to come by. Like it's, you know, uh, we're living in a digital world. I'm trying to do sure. Yeah. Uh, do what I love to do. I enjoy doing it. I don't really care if it's not pure or whatever. Like I, I like doing it, so I'm gonna keep doing it. Uh, so, so to Ken's point there, because he he says he's a hundred or or they, I, I'm not sure if they're he there. Uh, they say that they're hundred percent digital and they're curious about it. Why I personally prefer shooting um, film over digital is I have better quality of images when I shoot film. Um, because I'm not, I don't have that temptation to just push the button and take a bunch of photos. So I'm a lot more mindless when I'm using my digital camera. And then I curse myself out for it later when I'm sitting in front of my computer editing photos because I fucking hate editing photos. Yeah. And it's the worst. 
So yeah. it's like every time yeah. I use my digital camera, I'm like, that's the last fucking time I'm using you because I don't want to go through 400 pictures. Like if I had my film camera, I would have only taken like 40 pictures. Yeah. And I would have loved like 90% of them versus I took 400 pictures and I only like maybe 25%. So that's, yeah. that's why I shoot film. And yeah, I mean, part of it too is I think there's, I don't know, I think there's a lot of people that have very strong opinions one way or another now because there are a lot of kids coming up that like never had a film camera and it's a very conscious choice to go down that road. I'm a person that grew up with film cameras. It's kind of, um, a lot of it is habit. A lot of it is like the type of cameras that I like, the type of cameras that I started shooting with, like one of the things about digital that just never really appealed to me was the camera itself felt like a precious piece of electronics that if I dropped it or if it got wet or whatever, it was like walking around with an expensive computer that like the types of film cameras that I'm generally shooting, like we were talking earlier about breaking into abandoned buildings. I dropped an RB67 in a window of a built like that I was crawling into. <laughs> like had it in my bag and thought the drop was only a couple feet and it was about 10 and it hit a concrete floor and I picked it up and kept shooting. Uh, That's wild. Digital camera wouldn't have survived that probably. Yeah. I used, yeah, I used to ride around Boston with an RB67 like in my messenger bag riding like an early 2000s fixie asshole. And uh, I think I actually had one in my bag when I got hit by a car and like it, it was Jesus. fine. That And that's part of it. It's, Part of it too, like by the time I was old enough that there were digital cameras that were high enough quality to match the film cameras that I had. I already had the film cameras that I wanted. Didn't want to invest a bunch of money. And like we were saying earlier, at that point, there were a bunch of old dudes who had switched over to digital who were basically giving thousands of dollars worth of equipment away. It's like, I could keep shooting this thing that I got for a couple hundred bucks or like, replace it with something for five grand that the quality is not going to be the same even if i scan it even yeah. if i only ever like throw the photos up on facebook a two megapixel camera or whatever existed when i was a teenager is gonna look like shit uh but that film you took is always gonna look good exactly and yeah, yeah and i've also like <laughs> i've had hard drives crash i've had computers get stolen like i still have that film uh yeah I, Gavin has a comment here. Was the floor okay? I think so. It was an old building. Might have been cracked. Might have been cracked already. Not sure. I mean, the Mamiya, that's a backbreaker. That thing, I can't believe. I rode around with that thing in a one-shoulder messenger bag for years, and somehow, uh, somehow it didn't start bothering me until I got hit by a car and broke the collarbone that that bag rested on and yeah i mean that's another thing too that i like like from film versus digital is just like the equipment that themselves like i i like the feel that like picking up <clears throat> my f5 or like my f100 or like one of the polaroids like the feel that it gives you to just have that device and it's not so much like the capability but it's just like the emotion and feeling because like when I saw those things for the first time they were so far out of like my reach like I never dreamed I would ever actually own any of the gear that I have today yeah and it's just so wild that I do have it 
And yeah. I like the feeling that, it, you know, being able to use something that was like from the 60s or 70s and like, you know, the 90s in some cases. Yeah. You don't, you don't get that same sort of like emotive feeling when you pick up a digital camera. And yeah, I have that same, um, I have that same feeling with like, yeah, the, the tactile nature of it and the, like, the mechanical aspect of it, of, with the exception of maybe one of my cameras, I don't have any cameras that are, that have electronic shutters. So you like, you're out somewhere and your battery dies, you're fine. You're out somewhere and like some mechanical thing stops working take that thing apart and put it back together. Like there's not a computer chip. It's like, it's force it with a screwdriver and like you can get yourself going until you get home. Like that's one of the yeah. things I love about, um, I love, I, yeah, I love like tinkering with stuff. I love, uh, yeah, like just the, the quality of having something that feels solid and uh, yeah, for whatever yeah. that's worth. I'm not, yeah, I'm not like, gonna stand on a soapbox and try to get anyone to do the things the way I do them but uh <clears throat> yeah I, I like doing things the way I do things so I'm gonna keep doing it that's exactly it you know I they're all tools so yeah. like, as much as I shoot film I do shoot digital from time to time because there's times it makes sense to use it and yeah and yeah, honestly, there are times like as the owner of a photo lab there are times that I've had conversations with people um who are like who have very specific needs for a very specific job or whatever and they're they're fighting against they're wanting to shoot film but fighting against the medium like there are times that just like i love film too but for this specific project you might be better off shooting digital if like having a little bit of haze is going to be a problem or having a little bit of noise or whatever like there's a time and a place for everything and i mean for what i do film works for me but yeah i'll be the first person to say like some super high pressure mm -hmm. where if you lose it you lose it uh maybe maybe back that up on digital at least yeah I mean, it's um it, whatever makes you feel happy exactly it's That's... yeah photography should be about having a good time and making making work that makes you happy and looking at work that makes you happy and meeting people and talking to people and community that's been the best part of it for me is like the community and meeting different folks uh, like yourself and uh, you know Brian and so many like great people I've been able to meet through um, the photographic community. That's been like the best part of it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's been one of the one of the greatest things about Underdog is um, like the people that because Underdog grew out of a lab that used to be in San Francisco. The people that followed us over and were cheering for us the whole time. Like there, there were times that this was this was rough. Like opening a business with no money in the Bay Area, where rent is insane and everything's difficult. Like this was not easy. But there were, and there were two years that we were down. Like we couldn't find a landlord that would rent to us. Um, and in that time, we had old clients from the old lab like checking in on us every six months and. Um, like we're really rooting for you and that every time that I was getting down on it and like this isn't gonna work there's no way we're gonna pull this off someone would come out of the woodwork and be like you guys gotta do it like pull through keep working we're rooting for you that like community aspect of things um yeah really kept us going and is what's allowed us to grow and yeah like Brian has helped organize the shows that we've put on here we were like 
wheat pasting down the street and got to meet a bunch of our neighbors and uh yeah trying to just foster that like finding ways to work with people like people that do different things um that like we can all help each other out and we can all root for each other we can all back each other up uh that's what we're trying to do here the wheat paste looks so cool i saw those in brian's stories yeah yeah that was a super fun project and yeah we were out there it was like the hottest day in San Francisco history, in Bay Area history or something. We were like up on scaffolding covered in glue and uh, <laughs> getting that together. Um, and yeah, I don't want to take, like that was, that one's Brian's brainchild. That was, it was a super fun thing to be a part of, but um, yeah. You printed it, I did print it, but <laughs> <laughs> Brian's, Brian's behind me. Um, but clubhouse thing? I don't know if I know what the Clubhouse thing is. So uh, Clubhouse is like, a, it's right now it's an iPhone only um, thing. It's an audio chat kind of um, thing where you can <clears throat> join chat rooms that are audio only. When you first join the room, uh, you join as a listener and you can listen to like the stage, which has moderators and speakers. And um, you know, there's the rooms have different topics going on like I, i've joined a bunch that have um different like photography subjects going on it's been pretty interesting like um cool. i've um i've invited a few because like it's invite only and iphone only right now um they're supposed to be opening it up to android in the not so distant future but um i've had some interesting conversations on there like it's been kind of a cool platform for for me cool. yeah that... jason's comment it's aol chat rooms for 2021 Yes. Hell yeah. That's a, that's a language I can get behind as an old fat. Um, yeah, I mean, that sounds, that sounds interesting. Uh, that could be a road we go down. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, right now where the, the push right now is like, a, we have this whole side of the building that like, <laughs> um, the goal is to make a gallery space uh and right now it's just like a pile of random stuff because uh we haven't been able to invite anyone in here and we're really yeah really looking forward to like being able to invite people in here and the the comments in the PETA gallery are kind of priceless i was <clears> seeing <throat> all the asl ones that yeah asl for, for those of the people that may be watching this recording later or listening to the podcast later uh, ASL was something that was said uh, by older generations in chat rooms where they're like age, sex, location, um, which usually was followed by a cyber question mark, yes. which um, is what pervy men would say to young women when they wanted to text sex them in chat rooms. There was one of my old coworkers from the record store I worked at when I first moved here was in here. I don't know if he's still here, but there was, whenever I hear ASL, I think of, there was a Neil Young record that came out when I was working at that record store that the cover was a photo that like looked like a chat roulette photo. It was this kind of like blurry pixelated, like up close to the camera photo. And someone who worked at the store wrote ASL like in a quote bubble underneath it. Because uh, it very much, that's what it looked like, and it made me chuckle every time I saw it. And now that's like, hey, Jersey. Yeah, that like that visual is what pops in my head when I think of ASL now, creepy Neil Young. 
Yeah, this is great. So Cohen says ASL was early Tinder. <laughs> Gavin's like, it was mostly pervy men talking to pervy men, but didn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of a lot of thirteen year old females <clears throat> talking yeah. to each other. Yeah. Exactly. Um oh, the internet. a lot of that. Yeah, the internet, man. There was uh like do you ever remember something awful? The, that sounds familiar, but I can't. So somethingawful.com. It was a very like terrible website of terrible things before like the Reddit came along and offered more terrible things to the world. Was that like more or less awful than rotten.com? Cause I do remember rotten.com. Yeah. So it was less awful than rotten, but rotten okay. was pretty like, I will um, never forget Goatsy. Uh, yeah. Was... <laughs> or blue waffles. That ruined waffles for me for a while. <laughs> I don't know if I know that one, and I probably don't want to. Yeah, uh... never, never Google it. Never. Yeah. Uh... You don't. Cliff Yablonski hates you. That was prime time early <laughs> 2000s internet. So uh... good. If you've never read that one, I, if, if um, it still exists as an archive, it's worth checking out. Cliff That's Yablonski. another one that, like, yeah, that sounds like a thing that I've heard before, but I can't, I can't place it. Uh but no tub girl that's just <laughs> uh, we we've really like you know gotten into the trenches now of, yeah that's uh, yeah. so i'm really excited about this i just picked this up recently and i'm looking forward to shooting it on my trip it's oh. uh, the roly pine well, paul and reinhold special edition film hmm. uh, it's for their 100th anniversary and um it's for the founders of, of Roly. So we're the, the subject here says, celebrate with us 100 years Roly. In 1920, Paul Frank and Reinhold Heideck founded Roly on the occasion of the 100th anniversary of Roly. This limited twin pack is dedicated to them with two black and white negative films, both containing the same film. Why not share your second film with a friend and shoot photos for eternity? I'm not very good at sharing, so I'm just going to do it myself. Um, but I'm excited to try it out because it's, um, it is a 640 ISO panchromatic black and white. Oh, oh. And it says the latitude here of it is 320 to 1600. Huh. So I'm kind of excited to try that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be curious to see... Um... Honestly, one of the best parts of my job is that um, I get to scan everyone else's film. So, like, I, I get to kind of, like, test test it out on other people. Um, like, different film types roll through, and I can be like, oh, this looks like shit. Or, like, what is this? This looks great. Um, and then not waste money trying out films that aren't great. Uh, you know, mixed bag of, like, I don't know since I'm not the one that shot it, like, it might look like shit because they didn't expose it well, or it might look like shit because they didn't store it well, or whatever, but it is a good, you know, um, I've been surprised, like, fairly often there's been times that I've been scanning something, like, this looks really good, uh, and it's, like, Lomo 800 apparently is good film. Lo um, so Lomo 800 is great, Lomo 400 is fantastic, I really love Lomo 400. Um, I'm curious though, in the scanning thing, 
and maybe you can't share it, but what's been the weirdest thing you've seen scanning photos? I'm, I've done a, I've been scanning photos. I've worked at photo labs off and on since 2002. Um, the first photo lab I worked at was a one hour lab in North Reading, Massachusetts. It's actually still open for all, I saw you North Shore people talking earlier advanced photo in North Reading, Massachusetts on Main Street. So, oh God, yeah, the dentist story. I'll get, I'll get to that. Uh, but yeah, I, I worked at a photo lab in the early 2000s. The local police departments still shot film um, and they brought it to us. And Ooh. it was a one hour lab. So they would come and there were times that like, I would have detectives standing over my shoulder. Uh, and in those days, it actually wasn't even scanning. I was like doing four by six prints. Um, but they would be standing over my shoulder, like looking at the uh, the little preview screen, being like, "Yeah, we need to be able to see that blood, like bump, bump the contrast up." Um, so there's, yeah, there's. I was 18. <laughs> there's stuff that I saw in those days that scarred deep in my head. The the dentist story is um, this guy that was a lightwaves regular, who when I started. Um, everyone that worked there, the first time I was manning the scanner, when an order came in from this guy, I was like, oh, you got one of his, have fun with that. And it's like, didn't know what to expect. The way that the scanner, um, breaks down is it, it shows you six preview images at a time and you go through, you do your color contrast corrections and go to the next six. So the first six were just this like cute little old man like posing with his hygienist and I was like I don't don't really know what the problem is and then the next frame graphic close-ups of vaginas um he he would basically fuck sex workers in the back of his car um and thoroughly document it and he wanted the largest scans that we offered, prints and contact sheets of every roll. Uh, and it was not just like, like I've, again, I've been doing this for a long time. The old lab was South of Market. I did Folsom Street Fair photos. I did Burning Man photos. I did Beta Breakers photos. Like I've seen all the dicks. Like I've, there's nothing I'm borderline unshockable about like standard snapshotty porn. This was like, he was like shoving bullets and pens and like is gross is just is just gross um and then he yeah i don't i brian just said we're gonna get ourselves banned I, yeah i don't want to make this x-rated um but then yeah the best part was he came in he had been doing construction at his house knocked a hole in the wall and found a bag of film from the 60s that had women's names written on it in pencil that apparently was his dad's it was unprocessed black and white film. Um, so he was like, I don't know what's on this. It got shot and shoved in a wall at some point. Uh, so we processed it and it was like his dad was taking naked lady photos too. Um, but the, like these were more like classy pinup shots, but. Uh, so like, like father, like son to a degree, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, so that's the dentist story. <laughs> Dang. 
<laughs> yeah, I, uh, there's not much that leaves me speechless, but um, <laughs> wow. That's... Uh, yeah, I, yeah, anytime anyone comes in, like people come in here and apologize for like, the cutest thing in the world to me is when someone comes in and is like, um, sorry about those photos, they might have been a little risque, and it's like some classy nude with like, half of a breast showing and I have to just be like, honey, you, you're good. So, yeah, you're fine. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can imagine you've seen some shit for sure. That. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean the, like, yeah. The the first lab was one hour joint. It was like mostly soccer practice and golden retrievers and birthday parties and stuff. So that made like the crime scene stuff and the occasional porn that we did get there feel very shocking. Um, yeah. The labs in the Bay Area are a lot more, we get regular like fine art nudes. And when I started working at the lab that Underdog grew out of was kind of at the height of Terry Richardson fandom. So we were getting a lot of that, um, which, you know. Uh, Let's get that faded away. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, take that over some some other stuff, but. But yeah, uh, the I mean the the fun things were like, I mean fun maybe not fun maybe not fun I don't know, Folsom Street Fair photos were always entertaining, uh, which yeah. if you're not familiar anyone not familiar from the Bay Area Folsom Street Fair is a annual fetish street party, um, that uh, kind of based out of the leather gay community in San Francisco. So there's a lot of bondage and whips and chains and uh, stuff going on in the street. It's a very family friendly event. Yeah. 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 If, yeah. if you ever wanted to know what a leather daddy is, that's where you can find out. Pretty much like if you ever did you ever get anyone handing you those like those little Christian comic books? Um, like the drawings of what a sodomite looks like in those really amazing Christian comic books. Like that's what's walking down the street, Folsom Street Fair. And um, they're not trying to recruit you and they're not evil. They're just having a good time and they take entertaining photos and scanning them is fun. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I would imagine they're fairly like decent well-heeled people that that wouldn't go and like you know murder a bunch of people for religious reasons yes chick tracks yes i have a collection of them they are my favorite thing again going back to i'm weirdly obsessed with religious stuff uh <laughs> <laughs> gavin isn't that what the proud boys call themselves these days now leather daddies uh they um, wish all the leather daddies would beat the shit out of the proud boys if they well, in, in Canada, Proud Boys don't really call themselves anything anymore because uh, we officially designated them as a terrorist organization. Yeah. Yeah. As we should. Yeah, exactly. And it bums me out a little bit that the guy that like was one of the founders of Vice is like the creator of the Proud Boys and also from Canada. So that's like a double whammy. Oh, I didn't realize he was Canadian. Yeah. Um. 
as an American who we have to own a lot of horrible shit bags, I gotta say you can have that one. I uh, I thought he was one of ours, and um, no, no, that's that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hard pass on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do I do miss America. Um, speaking of leather daddies, I watched a very interesting video yeah, last night. Where this segue goes. Yeah, last night on, on YouTube, David Cross posted a very interesting uh, YouTube video about um, the failing of America. I um, saw that. It's really good. It's fantastic, you know, and it just, I always associate Leather Daddies with him now because of Arrested Development and like, yeah. oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And a New Start uh, is also a fantastic one. Uh, <laughs> perfect. Perfection. Perfect. <laughs> Perfection. Uh, yeah, it's so good. Yes. I've always wanted to see the Folsom uh, Street Fair. I've never gotten to see it in person, but I've seen like photos online of it. It's yeah. I mean, I li I lived in that neighborhood. Um, I just like I generally am a person who avoids crowds. So the weekend, the weekends that it was happening when I was living down there, I'd be like, oh god, I have to deal with this. But like, in retrospect it was entertaining and I do remember um friends of friends visiting the Bay Area from Ohio who had never been to California before and they were walking from my house to a practice space down the street and I honestly completely forgot that Folsom Street Fair was happening and we were walking like one block off and they one of them wanted to get water and we like went into this gas station and the guy came out wide-eyed what, what's going on? He's like, there's a guy just like naked with a boner and a fanny pack, like buying water in the gas station. What is going on? And I was like, oh, awesome street fair. Fine. Don't worry about it. What are you freaking out about? Uh, I mean, why not? Yeah. It's, it's hydrated. That's important. It's easy to get jaded. And again, like I've been, I've been doing the photo thing for a long time. I've been scanning other people's photos. Like I've, I've you know, I'm not like some hard hearted old war photographer or whatever, but like I've, I've seen some shit. So every once in a while, it's nice to like see things through the eyes of someone who's shocked by stuff that I'm just like, yeah, I don't know what you expected. Uh, did you not think you were going to see a boner when you were buying water? I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, life gets interesting sometimes. I don't know if I'm freezing or you're freezing. It slowed oh, down for a second. You're back now. Okay, yeah, sorry. Pause there. It's Dusty, man. Yeah, Dusty's messing with stuff. Well, Shiv, I really appreciate you sharing these interesting stories and, you know, photography from your perspective and, um, you know, also getting real. I, I like having, like, you know, real conversations where, um, you know, maybe we exercised a few people's comfort zones through this. Yeah, uh, um, I am the queen of turning a casual conversation into a huge bummer so i'm glad i did what i do and uh 
that's yeah um but yeah like yeah thank you so much for having me and i this was awesome and yeah you will until the world reopens forever be the last person i i met in real life so um well, i'm very flattered of oh no chris says what's worse than the stuff you've seen in the lab or erotic golden girls fan fiction subreddit Ooh. I don't know that I want to look at erotic Golden Girls fanfiction subreddit, but I mean, I've seen some like, I think the dentist guy's work was worse than what I imagined that to be, but, um, but I don't know. I think we're friends off, Chris. That was just, that was, a, <laughs> that was a little, that was a little much, man. But um, yeah, thank you so much again, Jesse, for uh, joining me on, on that bombshell. Um, you know, this is another yeah. episode of Photography Chat. Um, you know, I, and any parting comments you have for, uh, for the, the crowd? Um, thank you for watching. And yeah, any of you that shoot film, if you're not already, send it on down to Underdog Film Lab. We'll take good care of you. And uh, Oh, anyone in the Bay Area on Saturday, we're going to be taking um, Polaroid. Uh, we're going to be setting up a, a Polaroid photo booth at my old boss's cafe. They're doing a fundraiser for the staff. They're a really great cafe that's been like a staple of the community. And they're obviously hurting due to COVID. So we're going to be there taking portraits and they're doing a barbecue to fundraise to help the staff out. So anyone in the Bay Area that wants to come get, we're taking... Um, Brian rigged up a Instax wide thing to shoot on a four by five camera. Um, so we're gonna be taking four by five Instax portraits so you can like walk away with a print and uh, it's for a good cause. And what, what cafe is that? Cafe Lombretta, sorry. Yeah, I didn't even say the name. Cafe Lombretta uh, in San Francisco. Um, John who runs it employed me in the years that, uh, that the lab was down and um, has been a huge help to us through all of this. Like, let me pick his brain about opening a small business. He's like a super important fixture in San Francisco, like DIY and motorcycle and scooter and small business community. Um, so yeah, we'll be there on Saturday. All right. Well, you know, Bay Area people roll through and support them. You know, thank you again, Jess. And uh, next week I'm going to have uh, Sarah joining me. Um, I think from, I totally forgot what state she lives in. Uh, I'm the worst. But Sarah is an amazing uh, Polaroid and large format photographer and artist in general who I've been following on the grams for a, a long time and uh, had the chance to meet in Elgin, Chicago um, in 2019 when um, Brian Giesbrecht was doing a uh, Polaroid um, art display. So, yeah, she's going to be joining me next week. It should be a lot of fun. And um, someone asked, what day is that going to be on? Oh, the Polaroid photo booth thing is on Saturday from 11 to 2 at Cafe Lambretta, second in towns in San Francisco, right by the ballpark. This Saturday? Uh, yes. So, two days from now. So that'll be the 20th. So yes, yes. March the 20th. Yeah. Check it out if you're in the um, Yeah, and yeah, thanks again for having me, and hopefully we can hang out IRL again one of these days. Definitely. When the border opens up, um, the Bay Area is my second stop. First stop nice. is Denton, Texas, then the Bay Area, then California, then Boston, then Chicago. Hell yeah. 
We'll be there. Sounds good. Well, have a great night and stay safe out there, everyone. Bye. All right. Bye.